My name is Kyle Bryant, and you're listening to the Dark Side Light Podcast, a podcast dedicated to spiritual recovery through the dark moments in life. I spent most of my adult life outrunning the pain from my childhood, and that led me to alcoholism, homelessness, and just a path of wreckage behind me. The day that my first episode of Dark Side Light came out, I hit a thousand days sober. A thousand days. And that's not the accomplishment where you get a cake, you don't get a chip for that, but I wanted to celebrate it. And for those of you who understand the struggles of alcoholism, then, you know, I thank you for your love as well. Here we are at a thousand days, and I decided rather than to continue living the same way that I had been because I'm not living that way. I decided to take a thousand day inventory, an inventory of my life, all the ways that I've improved and all of the ways that I could still improve. Last episode, I told a really sad story about where I came from and how bad I let things get. And that's the important thing right there. How bad I let things get. Sure, I was lacking the cognitive skills and awareness to turn my ship around earlier. If I had those, I most certainly would have turned it around. The simple fact is that I had to hit my bottom so that I could bounce back up, and my stubborn ass kept looking for a further, rockier bottom. If you know me, you know that I'm a spiritually strong person. I would be dead if I wasn't. My spirits fought hard through all of this darkness to be sitting here today talking to you. But after wandering through that darkness for so long and having the spiritual experience that I did, I can confidently quote the gospel of Hank Williams Sr. when I say, I saw the light, I saw the light. (laughs) The thing about seeing the light is, like, yeah, you can see it. You could stare right into it, but you'll probably go blind. If you look too long, too fast, you're going to go blind. I mean, sure, the light's on, but it's your responsibility to walk toward it. It's entirely on you. What you do with that new light in your life is not just a flip of a switch. You could have a revelation in the darkness that changes you forever. But seeing that initial light isn't a standalone solution to all of your time spent in pain. It's on you to stand up and start walking to that light. And slowly, like a dimmer switch, you'll see the world around you getting lighter and lighter and lighter. The night that I chose to live instead of die was the night that I saw my light. I knew I couldn't go on living in that manner anymore, so I began the process of change. Here are ways that my life is better after a thousand days of not getting drunk, where I can still use improvement and the tools that I use to get here. I hope that these tools can help you just as they helped me with your own inflection as you begin the march toward your inner light. I'm about to give you some tools that were super helpful in me and my spiritual recovery. But when I give them to you, I want you to keep this one phrase in mind, progress, not perfection. 
At no point in human history has anybody been the absolute best at something on their first try. They might be good at it, but nobody picked up a paintbrush for the first time and painted better than Michelangelo. Nobody grabbed a basketball for the first time and played better than Michael Jordan. That's not the way it works. It takes practice. It takes building new habits and it takes intention. So as you move through this podcast and you move through your own life, remember progress, not perfection. Try to just do better than you did yesterday. And slowly you'll look back and say, wow, I'm so much better than I was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. Progress, not perfection. All right, intros aside, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this matter. We're going to break this down into five categories. Faith, controlling emotion, relationship with family and others, accountability, being of service. Number one, faith. I'm going to go ahead and rip the band-aid off and say I couldn't be here without faith and trust in God. However you choose to define God, you got to get close to it. Not one of us can do it alone, but mental illness and addiction, they leave us in this place where we're broken and alone, too ashamed to seek help. My recovery has been heavily spiritual. I believe in a God that is the loving, positive energy of the universe. It's that simple. It says universe in it, so you can believe in the same thing if you grew up with resentment toward the church. You don't have to commit to the word God, but I'm going to call it what I call it. I had to find something more powerful than me and place myself close to it. It was me who stayed in the mindset of broken-hearted loser for 30 years. It was me who allowed myself to feel like a victim long after the threat had ended. Yeah, sure, my brain wasn't functioning the way it was intended to. The world is full of trauma responses when you're that messed up. But it was my body that walked through that life. It was my mind that controlled that body. I'm the only one responsible for my downfall, and there's no changing that. What I can change It's my willingness to position myself alongside the loving, positive energy that I believe in. It is through proximity to that energy that my self-worth has grown. Step three of Alcoholics Anonymous is turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. I had a lot of hesitation about that, but somebody said to me one time, they said, bro, think about it. It was your will that got you here. And how did that turn out for you? And the simple fact is it wasn't going well. I wasn't managing my life very well. And I had to turn it over to somebody else. I was told that our lives are like a puzzle. We live our lives doing our best to put these pieces together. But all we can see is the backing paper of the puzzle. We're putting it together upside down. And only God can see the image that we're trying to put together. My trust in God wasn't an instant thing, but I had to recognize over time as my quality of life improved, it was because I was trusting God to guide me toward my true purpose. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm trusting and being willing to let go of things that don't serve me because let's be honest, God's doing a way better job than I ever did.
It was me who led myself to alcoholism. It was me who kept seeking darkness. And it was me who was living a miserable life. The more control that I gave to God, the more my life improved. God is doing such a better job at managing my life than I ever did. And my trust only continues to grow. Here are two tools that I used to get into and stay in close proximity to God as I understand him. Number one, the prayer mat. I observed that the first place my feet hit the ground in the morning was the same position they were when I got into bed. I put a small soft rug in that place and every time my bare feet touched them, it was a reminder to pray. I prayed in the morning and in the evening because I trained my brain to associate the feeling of that rug on my feet with the action of prayer. There were times when I didn't know what to pray about. You know, there there are plenty of times like, oh God, like, please just help me get through this job interview without, you know, exposing myself as a whatever kind of person. God, give me the strength to get through this day. But there were a lot of times where it was just, the day was good. I had nothing to pray for, but I was on my knees ready to pray. And so I just said, thank you. Thank you for helping me to not break that thing when I lost my temper. Thank you for helping me to get to where I was going on time, even though I left late. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience life from a different perspective. It doesn't always have to be, uh, God, I'm in my most desperate moment and I need something. God wants to have a relationship with you and wants to hear from you in the good times and the bad. So come to God with the good times too. Start that off by putting a little prayer mat beside your bed so when your feet touch it, you know it's time to pray. Two, drinking water. I know this sounds like, how does that have anything to do with God? But the simple fact is most of us don't drink enough water as it is. And water is the most essential thing to our life. So if you want to use drinking water as a spiritual practice, this is how I did it. When you're thirsty and you're ready to take a sip of water, focus entirely on that moment and what your body is doing. You'll feel your hand lift the vessel that holds the water. You'll feel your lips touch the edge of that vessel. You'll feel the water fill your mouth. And as you feel it rolling down your esophagus, reflect on how vital that water is to your continuation of life and say thank you. That's how it started. It was a hot day. I was so thirsty. I reached for my insulated metal water bottle Didn't expect for it to be cold, but when I took a big sip of that, it was so jarring and it was such a sensation that I had to be grateful for it. It was meeting my needs and being like as effective as possible in meeting them. And I knew it wasn't me who made the water. So I thanked God and something just clicked. Hey, do this every time you drink water. I mean, how big of a role does water play in our lives? In the lives of every living being on this planet and on the planet itself. If we're to continue living here, then we have to drink water.
I mean, think about how the water got here. You didn't create that water. You didn't combine the one hydrogen molecule with the two oxygen ones, nor did you create those molecules in the first place. Something else put them there and made it essential to your survival so that you could have this spiritual experience in the 3D form. That energy wanted you to have it. God wanted you to have it. So say thank you. It's as simple as that. You feel the water enter your body. You say, thank you, God, for providing me with this liquid that keeps me alive. Do that every time you drink water. Treat it like sending a text message to God. God wants to have a relationship with you. You're a small part of God, so live united with God. As you can imagine, my relationship with my family, it wasn't a good one after that long of just being drunk and in need all the time. So the second one is relationship with family and others. I mentioned my dad in the previous episode and I want to repaint that picture because yeah, I felt abandoned for a long time. Him not being around that much in my childhood was difficult for me, but it's not like he was completely absent from my life. I still saw him on holidays or birthdays and occasional weekends, but he was young, he had another family to attend to, and he was working his ass off. When he didn't show up to pick us up on time, or sometimes show up at all, my stepdad would tell me it's because he didn't love me, and that I was a piece of shit person who didn't deserve to have my actual father around. I grew up resenting my father because of something my stepfather told me about him. However, in middle school, he moved to Portland and he did a pretty good job of picking my brother and me up, taking us for the weekend and trying to do something fun with us. It usually meant going to the mall playing video games at the arcade and me buying a rap CD that my mother wouldn't otherwise let me buy. I remember one time I bought Ja Rule Veni Vidi Vici. You know the classic, holla, holla, um, um, that's ready to get dollars, dollars. He asked what I got, looked at the track list with songs like Murda, Murda, and was like, oh, this is what you ought to be listening to, and just accepted me for who I wanted to be. I felt safe when I was with him because rarely did he raise his voice, and not once did he lay a hand on me in violence, not once. I didn't see him much in high school, because you know how high schoolers are with their parents, but we got closer when I went to college. Today, we have an amazing relationship. We still don't see each other very much. We live 3,200 miles away, but we talk all the time. I genuinely love my dad, and I've forgiven him for not being there when I needed him as a kid, because he's here every time I need him as an adult. I know he lives with a lot of pain for how our childhoods played out, but... I hope he can forgive himself because he's doing an amazing job with his daughter and he's the best dad that he can be for me and my brother right now. My relationship with my mother and my brother, that's always going to be complicated because of what we went through together, but it's way healthier than it's ever been. When I went home for Christmas last year, we didn't even fight once, not one time. There was literally money on the line in my neighborhood as to how many days it would take before we all got into our semi-annual blow up. We didn't do that. And when I was grabbing my bags back to LA, we all recognized that we didn't fight one time and joined together for a big group hug. There were some moments we normally would have, but I or we quickly recognized the can of gasoline in front of us and consciously decided to put our flames away. In the past, we weren't as capable of that, and every time it was boom.
When it comes to my brother, it's easier than it's ever been. I came to recognize that we went through the same trauma together, so if it triggers me, it probably triggers him. One night we were in a conversation about our childhood and in an uncharacteristically honest moment from him, he told me that after our stepfather left, I became the abuser and that I was unnecessarily violent to him. He told me that he was scared of me because he didn't know when I would snap over something stupid and violently attack him. In that moment, I realized that I acted toward him, my own brother, my little brother that I should have been protecting. I acted toward him in exactly the same way my stepdad acted toward us when we were little. I inflicted trauma on my own brother simply because I didn't agree with his decisions and didn't have the tools to deal with them in a healthy way. I had to reflect on that and realize that I was trying to step up as the man in the house, but I didn't have the tools that I needed to fill that role, nor was I asked. All I knew was violence and solving problems, and I used the tools I was forced to learn to do what I thought was right. Everything about my actions was wrong, and I hope that he forgives me because I have so much love for him right now. Love that I hadn't experienced previously because I wasn't able to feel love. But I genuinely love my brother and that's why I don't fight with him. As for my mother, growing up the way that I did, I blamed her a lot for what I went through. I needed her to keep me safe and she didn't have the tools to do that. That's the important part. We can only ever expect people to be able to use the tools that they have available to them. I can't ask you to build a house with only a screwdriver. You're going to need saws, hammers, nail guns, a whole slew of tools. If all you have is a screwdriver, you can try your absolute best, but it will never be enough to complete the job at hand. My mother did her absolute best to raise us alone. And as an adult, I recognize how hard that must have been. She did a good job. She raised me with good values, provided me with everything that she could. When we wanted to play baseball, she got us on a team, paid for the equipment, because her father didn't allow her to do things like that. Like, sure, she'd get a little overzealous with this practice and damn near force us into activities that we didn't really want to do, but her intentions were good. Did it help her heal from her childhood? I hope so. See, the thing I've come to recognize about my mom is that her childhood was really hard on her. She was never allowed to be herself and was pushed out of the house as soon as she became legally an adult. She did her best to survive in a world where she didn't feel supported. The more I get to know my mother in an adult relationship, the more I recognize that she never had the time to heal because she was so busy doing her best to provide for her family. She was only ever doing what she thought was right and I love her for doing her best. That's what changed with me and my family. As long as I stay sober, my relationship with them improves. The more that I grow, the more space I can hold for them. The more tools I have to love them unconditionally. All three of us had to live in that house together. And we shared that experience of being in that threatening and violent household together. Any time that I feel triggered by them and want to raise my voice, increase the speed of my speech, and bring fire to that gas can, I change that energy to love. 
I focus on the goodness inside of them, the part of them that I couldn't be angry at if I tried, and I calm myself down because I want to bring peace and love into their lives, and that's it. My family and I are broken people. My stepdad was a broken person, and recently I added him on Facebook because I just want to get to know him as a person so that I can send love. It doesn't have to be this big, I'm sorry for everything. I don't need that. What I want is to get to know this man as a person because I don't think that he was inherently evil. I think that somebody taught him to behave a certain way just as he taught me to behave a certain way. Who knows if I'm going to get that closure or that opportunity, but... I'm at the point where I can even forgive him because nobody's perfect. We all go through things, and I know what it's like to live in and be controlled by trauma. Which brings me to the next point. Love and compassion for all people. Look, I kept my story of pain and struggle quiet. I didn't share anything about it because I was ashamed and no one ever knew that. How am I to expect others to just outwardly come out with their stories so that I can see them in a loving way. It's unfair for me to proceed through life assuming people know me and the darkness from which I'm emerging, just as it's unfair for me to judge or assume anything about anyone else. Every person on this planet has endured some level of trauma. When you realize that, it opens your eyes to everybody. Because every person has had at least one traumatic experience. And you can't compare your trauma to theirs. Because the pain that they feel for theirs is just as real and just as valid as you feel for yours. Every person on this planet deserves to be loved. They deserve to feel seen and they don't deserve to feel aggression or hatred coming from you. All of that energy does is slowly destroy you and them. I do my best to move through life sharing my love and kindness with every person that I encounter because that changes the energy of the whole. So next time you feel triggered by somebody or you want to lash out at somebody, stop, take a look at the situation and recognize the divine goodness in that person. Recognize that they are just one other human being doing the best they can with the tools that they have and show them some love instead of allowing them to trigger a negative response in you. That leads us into the next step, controlling emotions. If someone cuts you off in traffic, what do you do? I used to go off on a curse-fueled tirade. This fucking idiot, what the hell do they think they're going? Just gonna switch lanes and slam on the brakes? Fucking A, thanks a lot. Someone grabs the last bag of blue Doritos right from out in front of me. Awesome. Of all the snacks you could reach for, you go for the one that I wanted. And I let it ruin my whole day. Sit there in resentment for a whole day over one material inconvenience or disappointment. 
As you can imagine, I was not very happy. I've almost always had a default setting of anger. I didn't choose it. It was given to me by force, and I've been controlled by it for a long time. I knew I was changing when I was able to recognize the amount of anger I was willing to exert was not equal to the cause of the anger. I learned that from reading The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. The Power of Now talks a lot about our subconscious ego and how our ego works to control us. It's worth an entire episode on its own, so I won't go too deep into it, but the part that helped me the most was the idea of the trauma body. Toll claims that when we experience trauma, the trauma roots itself in our subconscious and will do anything it can to keep us under its control. The trauma body is ruled by the ego, which wants to see things stay the same, even if things aren't good. We'll find ourselves repeating cycles, seeking pain, attracting the same types of people into our lives. When we live entirely in the trauma body, we're controlled by its will. We are so afraid of disappointment or unmet expectations that we stay in a constant state of despair that we previously experienced. This is the cause of depression and anxiety, which will also get their own episodes. The tool that I'm trying to share here is the idea of recognizing your triggers and separating them from your responses. The best way that I found to do this was to listen to my body. I was so used to only listening to my emotionally charged up jello brain that I almost forgot I had a body. But our body is an equal part of the spiritual experience that we're having. Mind, body, soul. A perfect trinity. A lot of us don't listen to our bodies when they're trying to communicate with us. But when you're scared, you physically feel it. When you're anxious, you physically feel it. When you're experiencing joy, you physically feel it. Our bodies are our first line of alert, and they love to share information with the mind. Three years ago, when I got sad or angry, it was all over. I was either going to sink into the waters of depression or set fire to everything in my path. There were no other options. Depression... I'm still working on that, so let me get back to you with some sharper tools in the future. But emotionally charged negative responses to outside events, I've got a tool for that. When you feel an overwhelming emotion welling up inside of you, the best thing to do is take a deep breath. I know you've heard this a million times, and that's what everyone says. Oh, just take a deep breath. But rarely do people give you actionable steps to pursue after that breath. In effect, they're just telling you to get more air in your lungs so you can yell even louder. What a focused and intentional deep breath does is trigger a series of events when you train your brain to use them. Step one, take a deep breath. Use the breath to focus on the situation at hand. Ask yourself, what is making you upset? And do you have any control over the situation? Finally, recognize that even if you don't have control over the situation, you and only you can control how you're going to respond to it. So use your response appropriately. Will my response make this situation better 
or worse. I'll tell you from tons of firsthand experience that setting fire to everything in your path makes things way worse because the person that you just set fire to now remembers that about you and isn't going to want to be around you. If you want to boil it down to its buttery essence, I'm talking about the serenity prayer. If you don't know the serenity prayer, it's a simple prayer and a wise spiritual practice that will most certainly get its own episode in this podcast, but it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There's three steps there. Serenity to accept, courage to change, wisdom to know the difference. And we're going to break that all down with examples in a future episode. But study that prayer. In the meantime, another thing that's helped me get my emotions under control after doing the serenity prayer is communication. I still use this practice when I feel overwhelmed, and it goes a little something like this. Let's say it's 3 p.m., on a Monday, and I never ate lunch. I'm hangry, and my coworker and I are kind of butting heads as to how something is supposed to be done. My normal response is to say, you know, fuck you, I know what I'm doing, you're new here, just like shut the fuck up and do what I tell you. But there's nothing positive that can come of that. And rather than raise my voice and increase the speed at which I'm talking, I'll try and explain it. But a lot of times I can't. And you're going to find yourself in that same position where the emotions are driving the vehicle and you're just at its will. So instead of letting the emotions drive, recognize that they're there and you can't escape them and say, listen, I'm sorry about the way that I'm acting right now. I'm feeling very overwhelmed by this situation. I need you to listen to my words and not the way that I'm expressing them because I'm not mad at you. I'm just hungry and stressed out and this is really difficult to deal with at the moment. And I've honestly had coworkers tell me completely unprovoked, hey, you know, I worked with so-and-so the other day and that guy is just a real jerk. You know, I, I, I just really appreciate the way that even when you get angry, you tell me with your words and you tell me to listen to your words, not your tone, to explain that you're overwhelmed and having a hard time managing your emotions in that moment. And that really helps me to understand you and it helps me to respect you. See, like nobody expects us to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. And to accept that, but still show kindness and compassion for the people around you in your moment of weakness, it actually makes you stronger. In their eyes, in the eyes of the spiritual world, and hopefully in your own eye. So one of the biggest steps in getting to the point where I'm at now And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying life is roses every day. But life isn't dead roses every single day. And controlling my emotions has been a really big part of that. Another big part of that 
the fourth one on our list and I apologize because I wanted to keep this podcast short, but I'm wordy as hell and it's not going to be easy for me. That next step is accountability. In my past life, being accountable almost certainly meant a physical punishment was right around the corner. I accidentally broke a plate. I had to admit it because the beating would be worse if I didn't. So I had to hold myself accountable. As a result, I learned to lie, cheat, and do whatever I could to escape the consequences of my actions. Accidents were not forgiven in my childhood. They were punished with draconian action. That taught me to do whatever it took to evade accountability, which led to living a lie. I had to remember lies, who I told them to, and what I told them. I was so good at this that I would intentionally make contact with my friend's parents, go to their house, chat them up, charm them, and then leave to go do something bad, knowing that if anybody said, well, Kyle, you did something bad in this place at this time, I could say, no, I didn't. I was at my friend's house. Call their mom. The mom would answer, oh, yeah, Kyle was here all afternoon because after I did that bad thing, I made sure to check in and tell them some lie about what we had been up to. I had to remember all of these things, and it was exhausting. Accountability is everything. It tells people that what you're saying is honest because they see the results of what happened. Hey, sorry, I got a parking ticket when I was at work. Oh, okay, cool. Kyle's always going to tell us when things go wrong, and we can trust Kyle. I find parking tickets in our vans all the time, and I'll send a photo of it to my manager. What? That one needs to get paid tomorrow. No one ever showed this to me. That's the kind of work environment that I'm in, and that's actually why I'm looking for a new job. There's an absolute lack of accountability. See, when you make a mistake and you admit it, you're not waiting for the other shoe to drop. You walk right up to where that shoe is and you say, hey, shoe, don't kick me in the head. Be on my feet to keep me protected against whatever it is that's on the ground. You walk right up to it and address it. Accountability is an intimidating concept, but it's incredibly freeing when you can learn to practice it. Because no one expects you to be perfect because they know that they're not perfect. And anyone who does expect that from you, like, they're going through their own thing and just be cool with them. But accountability is everything. And it brings so much spiritual relief. So step four, practice accountability. I just want to point out, because this is a thousand day inventory and we're talking about accountability... I've paid my bills on time for two years straight. And this one's super complex for me. Way more complex than it should be. Because it involves trusting God, taking a step back from my own dreams, and being accountable. I have to pay bills. We all do. If we don't pay rent, we get evicted. If we don't pay the utilities, our lights go out. If we don't pay for groceries, we die. Simply put, Up until recently, I was an unemployable drunk. 
I had resentment toward every job that I ever had because it was standing in my way of my supposed successful art career that I felt entitled to. I spent most of my years underemployed or completely unemployed. Air quotes, self-employed. Last year was the first time in my life that I made more than $20,000 in a year. I'm 37 years old, and up until last year, I never made more than the poverty line. Do you think I liked giving up my time for a job when I could have been painting? No, I didn't. But I've held down a job for an entire year, which is a huge accomplishment for me. But what I learned from it was stability. Prior to having a job, I never knew when I was going to get paid or how much it would be. I survived on art sales and art sales alone that were unpredictable, and the anxiety of that world, in turn, hindered me from making the art that I wanted to make from the world. I spent most of my days suffering from unbearable anxiety and depression, so when the bills were due, I did my best to hold on to that money as long as I could. Today I pay my bills on time because I know that there is money coming in later in the month that allows me to pay them again next month. It kind of hints at a future episode, which is something that's on my list of my inventory list of things that I'm not good at. I still live in a scarcity mindset. We'll address that later in the future, but I'm hoping that my scarcity mindset can be relieved. And the way that I see it being relieved is number five on our list, being of service to others. I'm constantly helping people in need. It's what our world needs the most. We live in a world where everybody's focused on their own ends, and I live in a city where everyone is focused on what can you do for me. No one wants to be friends out here, they just want to network. All right, fine, I can't change the culture of the city. But what I can change is the way that I behave in it. Just yesterday, I saw a man pushing a shopping cart. It was filled up completely with a baby crib precariously strapped to the top. He was struggling to build momentum enough to push the cart from the crosswalk to the ramp of the sidewalk. I asked him if he needed help. He said no. I asked him if he wanted help. He said no. That's when I refused to take no for an answer. Went to the front of the cart and pulled while he pushed. He didn't know I was helping. He thought he was getting the cart up the sidewalk through sheer willpower alone. That's when I asked him, hey, how far are you going? I'll help you get there. Finally, he realized what had happened and accepted my help. We pushed that cart three blocks to his destination. I helped him unload the crib. He thanked me and recognized that he would have struggled without my help, which he didn't ask for and initially refused. I don't tell you this story to boast in any way. I recognize that I'm not even supposed to tell people things like this because it's supposed to be between God and me. But it's an example of the code that I live by. One time I was on Wilshire and Vermont and this lady wanted to turn left. That's a heavy traffic intersection. But her car stalled out in the middle of the intersection. It broke down right then and there. I ran from the sidewalk into the middle of the street and helped her push. Two other men saw me do that and ran out and helped push too. We pushed the car out of the intersection and into a safe place. 
I did that because that person was in need. They were in danger in that spot. They had children in the car. Like that is not a safe situation for anybody. And it's in a situation that's kind of embarrassing. And I wanted to relieve her of that stress too. This lady reached in her wallet and tried to give me money. And I didn't accept it. Because that's not why I did it. I'm telling you these things because we live in an energetic world. When I see someone in need, it's my job to help them because that's the code that I live by. Being of service to others has helped me grow energetically. If for no other reason than when I'm walking around sad, anxious, or depressed, helping someone puts me in the moment of helping them and temporarily relieves the stress and anxiety. It's a fundamental law of the universe that you reap what you sow. I choose to sow love and kindness. When you practice being of service to others in your daily life, it will leave you with a feeling of accomplishment and fill your soul with good energy. That person will remember the time that you are kind to them. They might not remember you, but they'll remember the experience. And hopefully they'll continue the kindness down the line. It's important to be of service of others because if it gives us a purpose, we need to practice that purpose. So let's recap. After this thousand day inventory, I went from a lonely, selfish, self-concerned alcoholic who at my peak was drinking a fifth of cheap vodka, tequila, whiskey, whatever, a fifth a day, 750 milliliters of just straight liquor, most of the time off the bottle, alone in a depressing apartment in Hollywood. And today, I live in a two-bedroom by myself where I'm able to have a living space and a workspace for my art, for this podcast, for music, for whatever it is that I want to make. I've had a job for a year, which is a huge accomplishment. I have God in my life. I have a purpose to my life. And even though I'm not sure of where I'm going, I know that everything's going to be okay as long as I stay sober and continue to practice the principles that I've learned throughout my daily life. The five things that help the most, what this entire episode has been about, faith, controlling emotions, relationship with family and others, accountability, and being of service to others. We're going to unpack all these ideas a lot more in future episodes. And I thank you for listening this far. If there's anything from this episode that stood out to you and that you want to put into practice or need some further clarity on, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I made an Instagram for this podcast. It's called Dark Side Light Podcast. The easiest way to get in touch with me is through my art Instagram at woodcutkyle. Reach out to me. Let me know that you listened to the episode. That would go a long way for me because one of the things I still struggle with is self-worth. 
I still need external validation knowing that what I'm doing is being seen or heard. We we all need that. So, you know, you if I helped you in any way, reach out and let me know. And that will actually be a way for you to be of service in helping me. See? Step five right there. Being of service to others. Boom. As this podcast continues, I just want to restate my goal. My goal here is to be a light in the darkness for those who still suffer in silence. It's scary to be out in the world feeling the way that people do when they're suffering. It's even scarier to share that with others outside of therapy where they're legally bound to not talk about things. I'm talking about things. I want to create a safe space and a safe community where we can talk about these things and give each other tools and strength and advice and hope. The biggest one is hope. This podcast is here to bring hope into the world. And I know that I've gone longer than I wanted to. I want these podcasts to be 20 minutes so that they can be easily digestible. This one was a big one. It was a thousand day inventory. We're at the 45 minute mark. And if you've stood this long, then let me ask, will you pray with me? God, we stand united today in your love and in your light, knowing that though there will be dark times, you are here to guide us. Please let this podcast be a guide for those who still suffer in their silence, for those still feeling pain, for past, present, or future events. We know that without love, there is no life. And the fact that we're breathing and have a pulse shows that we have life. Help ignite the love inside of the hearts of people living in the darkness and help this podcast reach them in their place so that they can know there is a way out. There is hope and there are tools available to them if they look. God, we thank you for being here in this moment, for being in the hearts of everybody, whether they want to accept it or not. Life is an inescapable thing. If you hear this podcast, you're alive. And that was a gift. Help us to embrace the gift. Help us to live in the moment at peace from depression, anxiety, addiction. Bring us to the light and comfort us. We pray this in your loving abundance and positivity. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dark Side Light Podcast, where we shed light into the darkness. The next episode, let's make it about the serenity prayer. That's been huge for me. It's a very compact prayer, and it's a spiritual practice all in one. We're going to break down that prayer, turn it into an actionable plan in moments of weakness. Over the last thousand days, that prayer has played in my mind like a pop song that I can't get out. And I want to give you that tool as well.
So join me next episode where we talk about serenity and peace and how to achieve that. This has been the Dark Side Light Podcast. God bless.